Hello, my name is Shannon Lee, and you're listening to The Slapcast. Well, welcome everyone to episode 50 of The Slapcast. I'm your host, Shannon Lee, and I'm glad you're all here. Glad you're listening in. This month, we've been talking about misconceptions about serving others, about volunteerism. And the first two covered last episode were that um, one misconception was that we have to serve to the detriment of self, that that's the only way we can really serve is if we're sacrificing until it hurts. And then the other misconception was that service is boring. Now today I'd like to chat about one more. And uh, again, I'm joined by the way by Jason Otero, our community engagement manager, and of course, the official title, Jonathan the producer. The producer, yeah. Jonathan the producer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll get you one. I'll put I'll put a little relay logo on it for you. There you go. And then I want you to wear it every time we record these. That's and you need like an air horn and a tagline. Like your version of uh, DJ Khaled, yeah. another one. Okay. Every, another oh, one. Oh yes. Every time he talks or another yeah. one. But you another need your one. own. <laughs> Maybe just like Jonathan the producer, and then that's that's the actual soundbite. Or it could be a call out to your nonprofit, Hangry. Yeah. You could Hangry or something. I don't know. Anyway, that was probably a bad idea. Yeah, yeah. We We don't have to know right now. We don't. We don't. We don't. (laughs) Squirrel. I like to think about those things, so I think they're fun. Okay. So I have an opinion. I actually have a lot of opinions. Um, But my opinion is that there's a belief out there that all serving or helping is inherently good. Mm. That if you, that it kind of like something you said on the last episode, I think relates to this, Jason, you talked about how sometimes we can get so active and busy, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't necessarily mean we're being productive. And I think that some of us think that as long as we just do something and volunteer, or maybe just throw a little bit of money at something that it's inherently good. So I have some specific thoughts on how that, of how helping at times can actually be harmful. Okay, and I'm open to you challenging me on these. All right. All right. So, um, and I'm sure these aren't exhaustive. Okay. So the first one is when we do it performatively. Okay. And what I mean is we travel to the far ends of the earth like missionaries. See, I remember that word mm-hmm. this time. Um, and we do it for the gram photo. Yeah. You know, now we wouldn't say that in, in planning it, but, you know, we've got, let, let's do, you know, let's paint their walls. Let's, you know, let's do some things on the surface rather than maybe helping them learn a new skill. Right. And I'm not saying one's better than the other, but one can be more performative. And the question is, I think that determines whether it is or not, is does it actually move the needle for the nonprofit? Mm -hmm. Is that nonprofit actually experiencing people coming overseas, doing the same projects for them every three months, um, which isn't actually improving the nonprofit. It just might be maybe look, making them look prettier on the outside. Um, it's, and I, th- I think what comes out of that is our helping and serving becomes more about showing people that we are helping and serving others. Like we, our focus becomes on, you know, like what, what people are seeing us mm-hmm. do. Um, and we leverage then, this is the part that gets kind of gritty. What we're actually doing is we're leveraging the hurt and misfortune and disadvantages of others so that we can be seen as serving. Yeah. And that just feels icky to me. Do you have any thoughts or yeah, reactions I have to that? a lot of thoughts about this. <laughs> um, you know, in the nonprofit space that I worked in, this was a big part of what you did with your programming is you would raise funds for some type of service event. Um, 
And sometimes you would see tremendous impact, but many times you created more work for the organizations you were partnering with. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an, a fantastic book called Toxic Charity that walks through the math on this. And the example they gave in one of the first ones was like a, a faith-based organization that does an international trip. And it broke down the math on how much they're spending on airfare, how much they're spending on lodging, how much they're spending with the organization. They said, now let's say that they sent one person down instead of a huge team and they sp- sent the same amount of money. Here's how that would impact the local economy, address these issues. Here's how they could make strategic partnerships. And the math didn't make sense on that economic model for serving. It really did. But our 13-year-olds got an experience. Yes, they did. And it may have been more for mom and dad to, to post on Facebook, uh-huh. which that is the demographic now. Oh. The kids what? are TikToking while we're Facebooking. I, I'm starting to do some leadership stuff on TikTok. Just a little just a little heads up, folks. A little teaser. A little teaser. Appetizer. A little teaser, yeah. But yeah, um, that, that happens a lot. I'm not saying that... You and I have ever been on a trip like this, maybe At to, the Costa same time, to Costa Rica. Uh, Jonathan, you the producer, went on that trip. You were on that trip. This uh-huh. was absolutely that experience. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll change the name to protect the innocent, but yes. no, we we were on one of these trips, not knowing what to expect. I don't remember how much we raised per person, but it was a rather expensive trip to Costa Rica, staying at the Crown Plaza. I believe Plaza. it cost about twenty two hundred a person. Yeah, if I remember. I, like in the ballpark of twenty one ninety nine. Yeah, ninety <laughs> nine. Um, and like, you know, we did a little bit and then by three o'clock, all the, everybody was back at the pool, um, with the catered meal at the Crown Plaza. And one of the things that was really interesting about this, so here's an example of what can happen. So that became a financial, um, engine for that organization. They depended on consistent amount of trips because along the way with all those expenses, there was revenue coming in. For the organization that for the coordinated organi- it. Yes, yeah. yes, for the organization coordinating it. Like they generated revenue over the year. One of the projects that they had at this particular organization was you would get machetes and you would clear the, it's like a crabgrass that would grow over the sidewalk. I brought my daughter on that trip and yeah. she did some of that. Yeah. yeah. And I remember halfway through talking to one of the directors there asking if they've ever had an edger because an edger, you know, is a, just a machine that's designed to clear the space, make it more difficult for it to go over. Plus when they had teams in and one of the responses was, well, this is one of the big things that we get to give organizations to do. And they get the whole like machete experience. What was implied? It was implied with that. So here's an example of resources, time, and energy being spent on something to create an experience for the people coming down. So the volunteer has an experience. Yeah. And you're wondering, oh man, they're so lucky to have us. Right. You know? (laughs) It is so freaking arrogant. Like, I chopped the hell out of that crabgrass for them. You know, I felt like I was in Kill Bill. This was, and you know what, Costa Rica, you're welcome as a nation. Right. That I cleared that sidewalk right. that was probably overgrown a week later and the next team of people came in. But it happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. All the time. Um, listen, I'm not, I don't want to. Costa Rica's talk, awesome, by the way. It really is. Costa Rica's super cool. A little scary in places, um, especially when you're thinking about where the orphanage was located and how they had to bus us in and everything and the metal bars and Mm -hmm. everything. Um, I remember they told us, don't leave because everywhere around you is tons of crime and you don't want to be a a victim of the crime here. Um, And it did, you know, I will tell you that what it, one of the things it really did for my daughter was it, at the very least, it opened her eyes up to the world is very different than it is in Columbus, Mm -hmm. Ohio. But even that... Even that 
was about her experience Mm -hmm. and her getting something out of it. Mm -hmm. I didn't think of it that way then. I think of it that way now. Then I was like, oh, this will be so wonderful for her. And I, and, and I thought that was a good thing. Now I think of that and I think that's icky. That if, if we're going to go serve, it should be other focused. Right. What's in it for them that, yeah. w- w- that we're going down there? Um, and I think if I can jump in, that yeah. can be a catalyst for a really good thing. That can be a catalyst for an experience that develops us into the kind of people who, as we lead, are caring about the good. I think that's fantastic, but it can also be something that we silo off as an experience and we say, this little compartment of my life happens with these types of trips and experiences. It's almost like the the example I have is we all have a friend who has a job that they have hated their entire life and they just live for vacation. (laughs) So it's like they love their trips, but they're miserable 48 weeks out of the year. And they put this compartment of the life as this is when I get to relax is when I'm on vacation and the rest of my life I live. So it's dangerous to compartmentalize and just section it off. But I do think it can be a catalyst yeah. for experiencing like, oh, this is the type of person I want to be. And this helped me experience something that wherever I am, I want to live this way. Generously. Yeah. And so. the good I take out of it today, looking back is now I can juxtapose that experience and if I ever wanted to do or had the opportunity to do something like that again, that I would probably go about it much differently. Sure. And so without that experience I wouldn't have really I wouldn't really really seen that comparison sure. at all. So I'm I'm still grateful for it. Um, okay, another way helping can be harmful is when we do it in a controlling way. And this is what I refer to as control wrapped in sunshine. Um, I've also heard it said helping is the sunny side of control. Mm. Um, When you're helping someone is really because you want it done a certain way. Um, It's not really about helping the other person. It's about alleviating your discomfort with the way that they're doing something. And this could take place in, in the workplace, like from a supervisor to an employee where, you know, let's say you've asked someone to, I don't know, put together a presentation for you. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's just not the way you would do it. Mm -hmm. And so you pick that back up and and do it. And you say, well, I'm helping them. Mm -hmm. And some people even call that leadership. I actually don't think that's leadership at all. Picking up and doing someone else's job for them is not leadership. But when you take something away from someone to do it yourself, it's actually a controlling effort because we cannot or we do not know how to manage the discomfort Mm -hmm. of allowing someone else to struggle and to learn and to grow and to develop. And so that's how it might look, you know, in the workplace. I think we've done, I know I did this with my kids growing up. Um, Sometimes just as a parent, you don't know when it's time to step in and when it's time to let them suffer. Were you the mom that like when science fair day came, you like backed up a trailer with a hovercraft that your kid had made? (laughs) That was like functional, yeah, like in quotes, (laughs) yeah, or like my wife won a state first prize blue ribbon in the cake decorating contest every year. In my entire marriage, I've yet to see her make one of those for me, which leads me to believe (laughs) that my in-laws may have had something to do with it. Rumor. Well, I don't think I did the whole project, but I was definitely the parent that stepped in and did some of the hard parts of it when they had this cockamamie idea. And I was like, well, we're going to make this work. This is going to happen. Or when they wanted to have the fanciest Valentine box. I don't even know if kids do that anymore or even. Oh, the box is still alive and well. Oh, my gosh. And some of these things are, you know, like Michelangelo projects, level projects. And I would step in and help with those things, too. Science projects. um, Also... 
when they would come to me at the last minute and say that they needed something made for school the next day or something from the store, there are many times looking back that I would have just let them suffer and, and get the zero or whatever because mm-hmm. I think it would have been better for them. But um, but this seems disingenuous to me, though, when we say, well, I wanted to help them when really what it is is we just don't want to deal with developing another person. And and in a professional set, setting, it actually does lead to someone else not developing in the way that yeah. they should, which as a leader, really, there's still a win-win for you because once they develop and can do it on their own and do it well, then you never have to do it again, yeah. you know? And, and if you think that you, the people that you're leading don't feel that happening, you're yeah. kidding yourself. Like, you probably feel disrespected. You, become, you will become resented over time because you're not trusted to grow. You're not, you don't feel believed in. It's a very frustrating experience. There are levels of micromanaging. Like that's a word that we would throw out all the time as, and point to this as an example. Like, let me do my thing, right? Like right. people would look at it that way. But I assure you, you may think that you could be slick with this. You can't pull this over on people as a pattern and think that it's not felt. You know, that's going to definitely drive insecurities and all these things we're trying to avoid in, in the workplace. Um, it can kind of fuel some of those unhealthy thoughts. We're not I, careful. I think, too, in this same category is when we help. And this might even be more prominent in personal relationships, but we help and then we like throw it back in people's faces. Well, I did all this mm-hmm. for you. And so the helping is now not about alleviating discomfort, but it's about leveraging control. Yeah. So, you know, well, I, you know, I, you should do this for me because I've done the dishes the last four days, mm-hmm. or, you know, you should take the dogs for a walk because, you know, um, you know, I did your laundry and these are silly examples, but sometimes if, if we can't, I guess my big, my big, kind of thing to be aware of here is make sure when we're helping that we're doing it from a place of that we actually want to help and mm-hmm. we can do so without expectation because otherwise the helping might be unbeknownst to us might be coming from a place of of wanting to control a situation in or some way or suspicion lack of trust yeah. yeah oh absolutely now this last area that I believe where helping could be hurting actually comes from a book um, also another good book you mentioned, um, what was the name of the book you just mentioned? Toxic Charity. Toxic Charity. This is a similar book. And um, it was written by Steve Corbett and Brian Fickert, who wrote this. It was a bestseller, and it's called When Helping Hurts, How to Alleviate Poverty Without Hurting the Poor and Yourself. Mm -hmm. And this book, of course, you can pick it up and dive into the greater detail. But what it actually is about is how helping in certain ways actually affirms our own sense of superiority. So this is related to my first topic around performative help. But this is actually a little bit more under the surface and that it actually is something unintentional for the most part where it it assumes that well because they're disadvantaged they need us. Mm. And it inadvertently puts the other person in a place of inferiority. Um, I heard the co-founder speak one time, the co-founder of Kiva, um, and she she was an, a dynamic she is a dynamic speaker. And she talks about this superiority that ends up happening when we help others who are disadvantaged. And so what Kiva does, this is this was one of her inspirations for forming Kiva. What Kiva does is they're a nonprofit that makes micro loans to people who we would consider poor from uh, they it's in America now too, but when it originally started, it started in third world countries to help I'm talking about like people who make crafts in their villages 
to have loans from anywhere from $25 to $50 to start up their little businesses. And $25, $50 to someone in a third world country is worth hundreds, if not thousands to us. And so the reason why they did loans instead of gifts or grants is because think about it this way. If I, if you are a disadvantaged person and I give you a grant, I give you money, you become dependent or could become dependent on me for that gift over and over and mm-hmm. over again. And so by nature of that interaction, I create an inferior and a superior, right? One is beholden to the other. When we enter into an agreement with you know, a mortgage company, let's say, this is a business agreement. There are terms, mm-hmm. right? You have to make a down payment and you have to make a payment every month and you keep up your end of the bargain and their end of the bargain is you get to stay in your house and you don't have to come up with, you know, $500,000 all at once for your home, you know, or 200000 or whatever. And so there are protections for both people involved. There are agreements, there are, there's legalities, there are signatures that protect the interests of both people involved. Mm-hmm. Because of that, there is more dignity involved, and there's more of a partnership versus a superior and an inferior. And so that's why Kiva said, we want to do micro loans that have to be paid back, and they're paid back at like, I think it's very little or zero interest even. And they rely on people like me and you giving a donation saying, I'm going to give 25 bucks. Mm -hmm. I just gave a whole micro loan. Mm And then Kiva uses that to help a craftsperson in another country. And so what's amazing about this is now these people not only are building their little business, but in in having their loan, they're able to earn money doing their own thing, a craft or, or a, a, you know, a small business of some sort. And then over time, they pay their microloan back and the goal is, and they have all kinds of wraparound support services. It's not just about the loans, but that's where everything begins. And these support services come from the perspective of we are equals mm-hmm. and partners in this business relationship, not I'm the superior with the money and I'm going to give it to you and keep you relying on those gifts in order mm-hmm. to in order to survive. And so I, I love that because to me, it really addresses a key issue with how helping can be hurting because when we just, and I'm not saying giving money is bad. I think that that, that is a part of the way we can serve people. But when we think about, we, I think it's important we think about the way we serve the disadvantage that we are careful that we're not putting ourselves, even just in our thoughts or intentions, that we're not thinking of ourselves as better than and superior because we mm-hmm. have and someone has not, so to mm-hmm. speak. And that's key. Um, so, I think there are some ways we can actually start helping and serving from a productive place, though. I want to share those. So number one, I think it's important to just get rid of guilt. Get rid of guilt. Or at least don't give us so much space. Um, and this isn't just related to, to, to today's misconception, but in general to this month, what we've been talking about. I don't think it's useful. You might use guilt to motivate yourself to help, but there's much more useful emotions to incite service like compassion, peace, love. Um, Believe it or not, guilt actually hampers these things. Now, some of us were raised in environments where guilt was a quick win. I don't know if that happened with you. Like, Uh, I I got the guilt trip from my mom often when I was a kid, and that got her the quick win. I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, mom, come on. Okay. You know, and and I, I 
probably, maybe, I don't know, did that as a parent as well and uh, guilted my kids into doing something because it gets, it's kind of like a shortcut to getting what you want. (laughs) It's kind of controlling in a way. Like we use guilt to control other people. But I don't think just you, I don't think you need to feel guilty because you have more than others. Um, and, and out of that guilt, you give to others. I think the more freeing and the more productive way to give is to give from a place of true compassion, to give from a place of partnership, peace, equality, and that this service out of guilt anyway is not sustainable. I, mm-hmm. I don't know if you have any experiences with that, but, but I definitely think that there's a lack of sustainability there, even just on an emotional level. Mm-hmm. Because what if the goal is actually helping everyone and ourselves experience health. Yeah. You can't do that from a place where guilt is driving your decisions. Which is not healthy. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Right. As I said, you can't give out, you can't give what you don't possess. Mm -hmm. Um, The second one is to to evaluate our motivations. Are you serving from a place of performance or not? Is this about being seen? Is this about letting everybody know what you're doing? I mean, I, I think there's a delicate balance there because I think it's important For example, I like knowing that an organization that I'm contributing to financially, I like knowing as a donor what they're doing with that money Mm -hmm. and that they they are executing on their mission as they have promised. And so I don't mind hearing about that. I don't see that as them doing things to kind of pat themselves on the back and, and, and in a performative way. But if, but if someone has to post every time they donate a turkey to the homeless or someone has to do, you know, like Jonathan's nonprofit, they do a lot with the, with uh, food insecurity mm-hmm. and, and that's one of the focuses of what they do. And so it would be normal for them to report out on what they're doing there because yeah. donors and sponsors want to know that things are happening, yeah. right? So I think that that's good. As individuals, I think it's important to make sure that our motivations are not in a performative uh, mm. vein where we're trying to kind of get accolades and um, be seen, you know, on the gram, as I said earlier. For yeah, that. I think one way, if you really want to gut check on this, is to look at when you celebrate serving in any capacity, when you celebrate sharing, and again, there's nothing wrong with posting the picture of the turkey that you're sharing with the homeless community. The question is, are you inviting people into that experience? I think, and that's not that's an extrovert point. or introvert, introvert thing. Are you inviting people into this thing that you care about? Are you inviting people into this good? Or is it, look what I did. Cool. You want to tell me more about that? No, it was just this thing we did. You know, yeah. <laughs> you'll see that. And it's like, okay, that was for you. Um, and so, yeah, we can get hooked on that adrenaline, but I'm telling you, if you haven't heard in the in the previous Slapcast, we were talking about there, there can be a fatigue. There's a price tag on doing that for yourself. Yeah. Um, and it's everyone around you. Yeah. <laughs> I do like the idea, though, of inviting, using it to invite others into the cause. I think that is yeah. amazing because then the cause stays front and center, not you. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, it doesn't mean that you're promoting or you're leading the next fundraising dinner or whatever, but it just means that the posture you have, I love that. That's, that's a word that I really like in all of this mm-hmm. when we're evaluating. What's my posture in this experience? Is it to invite? Is it to celebrate the organization, the good that is happening, to elevate that experience for others? Or am I just simply putting this on a report yeah. for myself that I'll file away <laughs> later or use as defense when I'm feeling really selfish? Kind you know? of polish my armor here mm-hmm. a little bit. Look exactly. what I did. Exactly. Well, I want to end this with talking about money. Let's go. Um, you can donate to Relay on RelayLeadership.com. No, that's not why. That's not, you can, but that's not why. Just to, just to be clear, you absolutely can. You absolutely can. Um, but 
there are some people that really are tied up with their with the amount of time they're able to give. Mm-hmm. And we spent the last two podcasts talking about really serving and we focused more, maybe even unintentionally on like giving of time mm-hmm. or, or talents. But there is another way to serve nonprofits and to serve um, organizations that are working with disadvantaged folks, and that is through giving. And my recommendation there is to find an organization that matches your values around Mm -hmm. giving. And what I mean by that is I'll I'll use our organization as an example. So at Relay, we consider anyone who gives a moment of time, any thought leadership, their talent, or a dime to our organization. All of those people are viewed by us equally equally. The gifts, there's not a gift where we say, okay, well, this person gave $10,000, so we're going to treat them special. Um, That doesn't happen. We view everyone as a donor that contributes anything to the organization. I've had way too many negative experiences in the past with other nonprofits, specifically churches, that you know who the high donors are because they're the ones that get on the board and have have the most influence over what happens at, at the ministry. And that is a that is a prioritization on people who can give more money. And so you want to hook up with organizations that match your values. So if that kind of flies in the face of your values, ask the organization. Mm-hmm. How do you what do you, how do you define donor? Is is a volunteer a donor even if they can't afford to give a dime? What do you do with your quote unquote high donors? And there are def- there is an actual definition. Nonprofits are required by the IRS to report gifts over a certain amount every single year, and we have to say who gave it. Like there has to be a name on there, the name of the person and or the foundation or grant making mm-hmm. organization. So we have to disclose all of that. Um, so there's some of that that's just forced upon us. But are are we being inequitable in how we treat people? Um, based on what they are able to give or even mm-hmm. what they're able to do for us. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's something we need to eradicate and make sure that we're as equitable as we can be. Um, we value all donors as equal, and we want all work to be valued as well. So just make sure that the organization you're giving mm-hmm. to feels this way as well. Now, I have another opinion on financial giving, and I have no like research on this, but someone once said it to me and it made a ton of sense. And that is that when I look at my discretionary income and I and, and we do set aside money for charitable giving, we pick a top three and we spread it around just those top three. Sometimes it's two depending on what's going on. I personally, we, we keep it at three and here's why. Because I only have a finite amount of money that I can give and Giving 10 organizations $30 a month or one organization $300 a month, you may not like this truth, but that $300 has a much bigger impact. And you may not like this truth here, but organizations need your money and your time and your talent. And you can decide which of those you're able to give. And if you are someone who is able to give financially, nonprofits need that. We don't survive on butterflies and rainbows. Nonprofit doesn't mean we don't make money. Mm-hmm. It, it, it dictates what we do with our money, which means anytime there is a profit, which there's always a small amount every year, it gets dumped back into programs. It doesn't go to shareholders. That's the difference in the IRS designation, pretty much. Pretty much. And so please understand that if you want to, if you have enough money, to give to 10, 12 organizations and you can give them a decent chunk every month, 
go do that. Mm-hmm. But if you have a really small amount that you can afford, if you can afford two, three hundred dollars a month, it's my strong opinion. And of course, I would never presume to tell anyone what to do with their money, but it's my opinion that you can do more good by giving a bigger lump sum to one organization or two than spreading it out thin to many. And this has actually been backed up by corporate giving. More and more corporations are giving away about the same amount of money every year, but they're narrowing who they give to so that Mm -hmm. they can make larger gifts to individual organizations. Why? Because they know. They know that if I can give this nonprofit $15,000 instead of $5,000, that's a $10,000 swing in their revenue that they can do more programs with. And I have the assurance that the IRS is dictating what they do with that revenue. There's certain things we have to spend our money on at nonprofits that is regulated by the IRS. We have to, we're expected to spend at least about 70% on programs. You can't just mm-hmm. go around and, you know, you know, buy expensive TVs with the money. I mean, you get in trouble with that. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Shh. I'm just kidding. Um, expensive so, TVs. Yeah. So, so there are, <laughs> I don't even think Relay owns one TV. Do we? We own a camera. Anyway, anyway, squirrel once again. Um, so it's just, you know, it's my podcast. So I'm going to share my opinions every once in a while. And that's one of my opinions <laughs> is that you would, you would serve that church better. You would serve that ministry better. You would serve that nonprofit better. That if you have a finite amount to give, that you pick one to three to give a larger amount mm-hmm. to every month each rather than spreading it thin across the board. And finally... Please don't be afraid or ashamed to take breaks with the time and the talent that you give. There's no reason to feel guilt over taking the breaks. You'll come back to that nonprofit or that church refreshed. You'll come back maybe even with new ideas. And your vacancy will give opportunities for others to kind of fill in the gap. All right. That's all I have on this topic, folks. Jason, any final thoughts from you? Any I guess just one at the very end, what you're talking about is when you look at organizations, one thing I like to do is I like to find one where the financial gift will be significant impact, like where it goes farther. But the qualifier for me is that I see an aligned, clear vision in the organization and I see effectiveness. I see that Mm -hmm. it's having a direct impact. Not if I fund this, maybe they'll be able to put a plan together. Like I'm still looking for leaders. Yeah. I'm looking for people that they are doing what they're passionate about. I think that's important to, to me um, to see that. And then I love to explore, wow, who would really, who would really be impacted and, and uh, effective with the resources as well? Yeah. So you do the homework, but it's, it's fulfilling as well because then you learn and you find yourself more connected to their story too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay, folks. As usual, if you want to stay connected to us, just email us at slapcast at relayleadership.org. You can also find us on all the socials at at relayleadership and the website relayleadership.com or .org. Take take your pick. And uh, you can find out about all the upcoming training opportunities we have, both free and uh, ones that are fee-based. And we'll see you next time.